If you turn your Bibles now to the 84th Psalm, Psalm 84, which we'll read in just a moment in its entirety. From time to time, we have had opportunity to spend a few weeks here and there making our way through this book of Psalms, one Psalm at a time, and mostly in consecutive order, so that we've made our way to date through each of its first 83 selections. And now for the next few weeks, as the Lord wills, we're going to open up to this book once again, this book that's been called by Alistair Begg and others, The Soul's Medicine Chest, and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to pour its healing oil upon us again. And we'll pick up this morning here in the 84th Psalm, which is one of the more famous in the collection, and we'll read it from beginning to end. For the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Father, I pray that we would be men and women and children who trust in you today. Speak to us in such a way that we will draw our hearts out after you in faith and in love. We ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a beautiful portrait the psalmist paints here, isn't it? The people of God longing for and making their way toward and finding blessing in the house of God. The people of God longing for and heading toward the house of God and glad that they are going there. That's the theme of this psalm in many ways. The people of God in the house of God. Over and again throughout these verses, the psalmist speaks of God's house, doesn't he? Verse 1, how lovely are your dwelling places. Verse 2, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. Verse 3, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, which are in the house of God, of course. 
Verse 4, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. And verse 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. God's house, his courts, his dwelling places, all of which house his altars. This is what the psalmist is envisioning in his mind's eye as he writes this psalm. He's yearning for, he's remembering, he's describing the house of God. And of course, writing in the Old Testament era in which he was, what he has in mind when he writes about and thinks about the house of God is the great temple in Jerusalem, the temple in the city of Zion, as Jerusalem is sometimes called. The temple, with its courts, with its altars, with its worshipers streaming in from the surrounding countryside, this was the Old Testament dwelling of God. This is where he manifested his presence to his people behind the veil of the most holy place, above the mercy seat, which formed the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. So that the temple was, in a very real sense, the house of God, his dwelling place. And the psalmist, in these verses, is delighting in that place. Delighting in that building, delighting in God's house. He tells of how he yearns for that house and for the praise that goes on there. He pictures in verses 5 through 7, worshipers traveling up to the great city to join the throng and appear before God in his house. He speaks in verse 10 of how lovely is just one day in the temple of Zion better than a thousand days on the outside. He loves the house of God. He loves the temple at Jerusalem, and well, he should, because it was in the temple that God promised to meet with his people. It was in the temple that sacrifice was made for their sin. It was in the temple that the people found the centerpiece of all the great festivals, and the temple was the house of praise and the house of prayer and the house of song for the people of God in the Old Testament. And so for an Old Testament believer, there was no place in the world quite like the temple at Zion, quite like the house of God. But it's perhaps hard for us to relate exactly to how they felt and to what the psalmist is saying here because we live in a very different era from the psalmist, at least as it pertains to the house of God, don't we? We no longer need to go up to the temple in Jerusalem in order to meet with God or make sacrifice or keep festival or worship with the people of God. Christ's coming into the world has made all these things different for us, has it not? For one thing, he is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament sacrifices and symbols and festivals. So much of what took place in the temple at Jerusalem has been completed by Christ, hasn't it? So that we don't need to keep repeating it, and thus we don't need to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to draw near to the Lord. Nor do we need to go there in order to encounter his presence. Because God's presence has come to encounter us, once again, in Christ. Christ is the new temple. Christ is the meeting place with God, such that while men once came to meet with God by means of the temple, today no one comes to the Father, Jesus says, but through me. 
He is the meeting place with God. And so things are different for the New Testament believer than they were for the author of Psalm 84. We do not have a house of God in the same way that he did. Jesus is our temple. Jesus is our meeting place with the Almighty. And so we function, we worship quite differently. And yet, I believe very strongly that though the correlations are not one-to-one, I believe very strongly that what the psalmist says about the house of God and about the worship that fills its courts and about his desire to be there with God's people, I do believe that the psalmist's yearning for the Old Testament house of God does have some very profound applications to the New Testament believer's desire to be with God's people in the church house. Now, it's true the church building is not the house of God in the same sense that the Old Testament temple was, and we do not need it to be so. And yet there is a sense in which over years of faithful attendance, the church building does become for us in many ways a house of God. Because while we may meet with God anywhere and Everywhere and at any time, so long as we meet with him through Christ, there is still something special, or there ought to be at least, about gathering to do so with God's people together. There is something special about corporate singing and corporate prayer and corporate praise and hearing the word taught by your own shepherd and even joining in a small festival like today's fellowship meal. In other words, Though there's nothing innately special about this building, like there was the stones that made up the Old Testament house of God, I do hope that this little collection of bricks and metal and glass and so on is indeed precious to you because of what goes on inside of it every week and because of who is there when it does. And more than the building itself I, hope, itself, I hope you view these gatherings as your weekly opportunity to appear before God in his house, just as the psalmist longed to do. I hope when you think of our Sunday and our Wednesday gatherings that you can say with the psalmist in verse 2, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. I hope that because of what happens when you come here, that this building resonating with these words and filled with these people and their songs and their prayers, I hope that this church house might be for you, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the dearest place on earth. I hope that though you understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New, that you might nevertheless say with Jacob about this particular place, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, because so many times God has met with you here. In other words, I hope that this day and these people gathered in this place to hear these words of God and to sing his praises and to pray to his name, I hope that all of these things are as precious to you as was a pilgrimage to the temple in Zion for the people in the Old Testament. I hope that you can take the psalmist's words about the house of God as he knew it and apply them to the house of God that is Sunday morning with your local church. I hope you can say, verse 2, that your soul longs and yearns for these times together and for the praise and for the word of God that comes to you here. 
I hope you can say of the Lord's day and of the Lord's house, verse 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. That's what spiritual health looks like. A longing and a delight to appear before God with his people in his house under his word and experiencing his blessing. So that we say a day like this is better than any other day, better than a thousand other days. That's spiritual health. Are you spiritually healthy? When we conclude in a few moments by singing a version of this psalm, will you be able to sing it from an honest heart? Will I? Do we love the house of God the way the psalmist did? Just listen to how he puts it, his love for God's house in verse Three. He, he almost seems to envy a little bird that has found its way in and made its nest there. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Maybe you can picture that. I was at Don Pablo's in Rookwood this week. That great cavernous warehouse that's been turned into a restaurant. And high up on the back wall over in the corner, there was a little small hole in the bricks, perhaps where some sort of beam used to attach to them. And inside of that little hole, a small bird had made its nest and was fluttering here and there across the top of the restaurant, completely warm and probably well-fed too. And the psalmist seems to have seen something like that in the temple. A little swallow had gotten in and made its nest somewhere in there and was raising her little ones right there in the house of God itself. And I think what the psalmist may be saying when he brings up that bird in the house of God is what a privilege she has to be here every day. What a blessing this little bird has to be always in God's house, always around the sights and the sounds of temple worship, hearing all the prayers, surrounded by the songs of praise, witnessing the sacrifices day by day. And wouldn't it be good, I think the psalmist might be saying, wouldn't it be good if I could be like that little bird, always there among the praise of God? And he puts that desire into human terms in verse How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Because there were people who lived in the temple, just like that bird. Singers, we're told in 1 Chronicles 9.33, who lived in the chambers of the temple, engaged in their work day and night. So they sang to the Lord apparently at different points throughout the day, and therefore... Evidently, little apartments were provided for them to make it easier for them to always be at the temple and always be at their praise. And that may be whom the psalmist has in mind when he said, How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Not only is the swallow blessed for being able to make her nest near God's altars, but these men, too, who live there are ever praising the Lord, engaged in their work, Day and night. What a privilege, the psalmist says. And I wonder how many of us think like the psalmist thinks here. How many of us would wish we could be like those men whose sole job is to serve God in his house? 
God's not called everyone to that role, but we show that we would be eager for it when the doors are open to us for prayer and for praise and for study and for fellowship. Are you eager to be here when the doors are open and the people of God are coming in and singing their praises and offering their prayers and hearing his word? Listen now in verses 5 through 7 to how the psalmist describes the eagerness of some people to get to God's house. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. Now, those verses are not so much a description of what goes on once these people arrive at God's house. This is a description of their joy in simply making their journey to God's house. That's what he's describing here. The trip up to Jerusalem to worship. And he says that some people are so eager to arrive at the house of God, verse 5, that the very roads that they must take to get there are said to be in their hearts. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. They just keep thinking about the road that takes them to the house of God. They muse about the road to church, to put it in our language. They say to themselves, I just love driving down Ridge Road. Just the thought of its hills and its dales makes my heart glad because I know where that road takes me and I know that I'll meet with God when I get there. How blessed is the man whose strength strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. I wonder how many of us think of our Sunday trip in that way. And then in verse 6, these people must pass through the valley of Baca in order to get to the house of God. And it's a difficult part of the journey, it would appear, because the margin note here in the New American Standard Bible says that Baca probably means weeping. And so in order to come and appear before God, these people must pass through the valley of weeping. Now, what does that mean? Maybe the Valley of Weeping was an actual place that had to be passed through on the way up to Jerusalem. Some arduous part of the journey or maybe some site that they had to pass by but that brought back difficult memories for them. Or it could be that the Valley of Weeping is a figurative thing here, referring simply to the the trying times that God's people must often pass through as they walk with him. But in either case, it would seem that because these people are on their way up to appear before God in Zion, because they're on their way up to meet with the Lord, it would appear that the worshipers in verse 6 are willing to endure the valley of weeping in order to get there. So rich will be the blessing once they arrive. And not only do they endure the valley of weeping, but because it leads them closer to the Lord, they're actually able to extract blessing from it. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The weeping becomes a spring. I wonder if you've ever felt that way as you've walked through the valley of weeping. If I can just get to the Lord, 
If I can just get to his house and hear his word, if I can just make it to Sunday, if I can just keep moving and make it to the house of God, God will give me something there that will turn these tears into refreshing springs. If you love the house of God, then the approach of Sunday can have that effect on you. Just let me appear before God and all will be well. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways designed. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. The delight simply in coming to the house of the Lord. And because there is that delight in coming to the house of the Lord, the psalmist prays in verses 8 and 9, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. He prays, help us, bless us, hear our prayers. But, But what is he requesting? He doesn't request anything specifically in verses 8 and 9, does he? What is he asking God to hear? Well, I think the answer is probably given in what he says in verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I think he's praying in verses 8, 9, and 10, God, just give me another day in your house. Just answer my longing, verse 2, for the courts of the Lord. Bring me back to your temple again. Let me be in on the praise. Let me offer my sacrifices. Let me be with the people of God. Let me hear the scriptures. He's praying that God would simply bring him once again to appear before God in Zion. For, he says in verse 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. A day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. Haven't you experienced that, believer? I'm not saying that any of us always feels this way or that every Sunday is like heaven on earth, but haven't you been in those services where God so spoke to you and God so met with you that you didn't want it to end? Because the word was coming with power or the singing was so sweet and full of meaning or the conversation after church or over lunch was so enriching that you just wish Sunday wouldn't end. And you know, even on the plainest and simplest Sundays, if we have learned to use our Sundays well and if we are spiritually minded, even on the most normal Sundays, I think many of us who use them well would say one Sunday is better than a thousand other days. I love Sunday. I love the Lord's day. I love the Lord's house. Who wouldn't want a thousand of these days instead of all the other things that the week brings to me? One day of rest, one day of fellowship, one day of prayer, one day of praise, one day of worship, one day in God's word. One day like that is better than a thousand weekdays. And the great thing about it is, is we don't have to wait a thousand days for it to come around, do we? Only seven. But we should still pray with the psalmist, Lord, get me to your house. Get me to that day in your courts that's better than a thousand outside. Hear my longing for the courts of the Lord and bring me back safely again to the dearest place on earth. Do you love God's house? Do you love God's day? 
Is a day spent with these people in this place better to you than a thousand on the outside? Do you long and even yearn for the courts of the Lord? And if not, why not? It could be that the courts of the Lord, at least as they are to be found in this location, it could be that they are in some disrepair and aren't as inviting as they once were or as they ought to be, in which case we should pray for revival in our midst. And we should pray for revival in our midst. But corporate revival is needed, and the church as a whole loses some of its luster sometimes because individuals have lost some of their brightness and are in need of personal revival too. So if the courts of the Lord don't seem as attractive to you as they once did or as they ought to do, if you find yourself not longing for this day and this place and these activities like you once did or like you ought to do, pray that God would revive our church, yes. But take a look in the mirror and ask if there are some changes that you need to make yourself as well. The psalmist longed for God's temple in Jerusalem. And if he could long for the temple in Jerusalem, which was, was just pointing forward to something far greater, how much more ought we who know the Christ to whom these things pointed, how much more ought we long to be in the house of God, praising and offering up the incense of our prayers and feeding on God's word and encouraging one another in fellowship. So ask the Lord to make it so. Ask him to work in you so that your soul will long and even yearn for these people in this place on this day, for the courts of the Lord. Ask the Lord to make you like the travelers in verse 5. Ask him to make it so that even the thought of your travel down Ridge Road and the other streets that you take to get here would make your mouth water because you know what a blessing those streets bring to you when you're at your journey's end. Plead with the Lord to revive his work and to revive your love for the house of God on the day of God filled with the people of God and begin now to recommit to the dearest place on earth if need be. You may be surprised what God's blessings will be if you'll give yourself wholeheartedly to him and to his house. For, verse 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You pray that God would help you walk uprightly and that he would fill this place with blessing for you once again. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Father, thank you for this psalm and this psalmist who longed for your house. Thank you that many of us who are believers have known that longing and that love for the house of God and the people of God. We've known those days where we didn't want it to end, where one Sunday was better than a thousand other days. And to the extent that any of us have left that first love, restore it to us. Restore 
to us the joy of your salvation. Sustain us with a willing spirit. Renew a steadfast spirit within us. And withhold no good thing from us when once we have turned again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.